Hey, what's up? It's your boy, Corey Deanna Lewis, founder of The Healthy Project and host of The Healthy Project Podcast. My mission is to bring awareness to health and wellness concerns that are impacting our communities. On this podcast, you'll learn strategies to improve your health from health professionals from around the world that are trying to make an impact in people's lives. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. I have a great guest with me today. Uh, she is the CEO and founder of MAPA, uh, MAPA Healthcare Consulting, um, Gabby Akala, uh, which is All a right. risk adjustment <laughs> programs and transitions to value-based care. Uh, Gabby, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Corey. I'm very excited about talking with you today and uh, in, and about being in this podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to have you on. You know, be, not only because of your, your knowledge um, and kind of where where your heart's at with value based care, but we hear a lot about value based care, um, but we often don't hear about maybe the the back end stuff of it. And I don't know. If that's more where you're at. Um, and, you know, just trying, I would love to know more about obviously your passion for people and kind of where you're at with it, with the value-based care, but you, you work a lot with healthcare organizations on making sure these things maybe work out for people. So I'm looking forward to, um, hearing your thoughts, but before we get there, just tell the people a little bit about yourself and, you know, what gets you up in the morning? Coffee, <laughs> like a friend of me. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> uh, well, I have to say I'm a morning person, so it's very easy to get me out of the bed. Um, I, to me, it's working on projects that are putting the puzzle together and trying to figure out how to do something better. Healthcare has been my area. My father was a doctor. And I didn't want to be a doctor, but I wanted to be in healthcare. And here in the United States, um, I have found that there's so many things we can do to improve the system. Right, right. And and you're and you're doing that. So kind of tell us about you know what is risk adjustment and uh, who does it impact the most? Can you tell us? Well, first, what what is risk adjustment? What does that look like in a value based care company? Sure, I'm going to. Speaking lay terms, I don't want to use technical words here. So pretty much risk adjustment, what it does is kind of a methodology used so that organizations that are in value-based care can be rewarded, I wouldn't say rewarded, can be compensated for the services that are providing to their patients. So in value-based care, when you are, so organizations receive a certain amount per patient, a capitated amount per patient. Right. But if that, if a patient is sick with cancer or any other disease or a chronic, another chronic disease, they get additional money so that they're able to take care of that patient in a good way, like in, in the, in the right way. Right. So Risk adjustment, what it does, is a method you use so that we can tell the payers and CMS how much else you need for that patient. 
that you're taking mm, care of. Okay. So that's the simplest way of saying it. So you might get $400 extra for a patient that has multiple complications so that you can take care of that patient the right way. But it's not, it's, it's very complex because there are many things that happens in the back end so that that information gets to your payers and they're able to say, yes, you need more money for that to take care of that patient. Right. It, it just, it seems, you know, the more and more I get into learning about value-based care, you said it, there's just, there's so, there's so many steps to like what, what determines if a organization gets X more money for a patient or like, there's just so much to it. Um, you know, so how should an organization manage their risk to be successful? I mean, if there's so much that's going on in the back end, you know, what should an organization, an, uh, an organization, how, what they should be thinking about um, to be successful? Yeah. What I've, I've been seeing, Corey, is that many organizations or many people getting into this because this is a new world in reality, mm-hmm. sort of new. It's that they think this is about coding. And if you think about risk adjustment, about coding and documentation only, you're missing a big piece to it. So to me, it's a f- workflow that starts when the patient, when you engage the patient, the patient comes to an appointment to the moment you get paid for that patient. So there are many pieces to it that needs to be integrated and looked at. So for example, revenue cycle is a key component here. If you don't pay attention to your revenue cycle, no matter how much you do in documentation or how much you improve your EHR, if it doesn't get to the payer, you're not going to get that money to you. That's not going to be reimbursed to the organization. There is data that you need to be looking at constantly. There are things you can do in the EHR to make the work of the physician easy. There is training on the provider side to make sure that they know how to document correctly because clinician documentation is not the same as risk adjustment documentation, unfortunately. So you need to train the providers to say the right words that will be in the kind of the risk adjustment work. Mm. So it's, it's, it's a very complex system that you need to look from the beginning to the end. Right. So it's, it's more than just providing good care to, to a patient. It's not only providing great care to a patient, but making sure that it's that when you're doing those notes or you're doing all the things in the back end, that it also shows that you're doing that care for the patient. Exactly. Exactly. It's like documenting correctly that care so that when you submit that information to your payers, they can see that and they can give, it's not give back your money, but it's like compensate for that care. Right. So giving all these, these new, and I don't know if they're new steps because you know, I'm, I'm not a provider, so I don't know how they document. I know a little bit, but not, it's a little different than how I do things. How do you feel? And I, I mean, you know, how do you feel that, this new way of, you know, with value-based care and this new system, how is this, or can this improve that relationship with the patient? Like, I, I know doctors are really used to a, a, a fee for service or, you know, how, how things are yeah. now. Um, 
But what are some of the benefits of this and how can this improve um, not only the care for the patient, but that relationship? Well, I think the incentive of the model are aligned to provide better care to the patients because it's not, they're not incentivized to give more care that mm-hmm. is not necessary to the patient. Because in the fee-for-service world, for everything you do, you're going to get paid. Every single thing that you add, you get paid. In this one, the incentives are about taking care of the patient at the primary care level so that they don't end up in the ER or in inpatient care unnecessarily. So it's really like a lot of the providers go into these new organizations in the value-based world because they feel they're going to provide better care to their patients and really ensure that they don't, you know, develop worse diseases and they, you know, they end up using multiple levels of the healthcare system unnecessarily. So I read you do a lot with telehealth design and implementation. Where do you see telehealth in with you know risk adjustment and value-based care? What does that relationship look like? Is that a, a good thing or what is that, what is that to you right now? Uh, so, so I think it's a little bit complex to answer that question because what I think great about telehealth is if we are able to reach out to those patients that are harder to reach. That's one thing that is great. And if we can allow for that also to be risk adjusted. Uh, it will be great. Although I think right now the video parts is adjusted after COVID, they start allowing for that. But also there's so many unnecessary visits uh, to providers. If we can use telehealth for those visits where you don't need to go in person, you can provide that and save time to the patient. But it's very right now it's it's very complex for the equity point of view, because although it sounds great to use telehealth in healthcare, there are many things that are impacted equity. Like there are people that don't have um, good connection, that mm-hmm. they're not, they don't know how to use all these platforms like Zoom right. or or all these. And also there are privacy issues. Like some of the people, they may live in a house with multiple people and they don't want to talk about their health related right. problems. Right. So it's, it's a great thing, but there are all, there's, there's just some issues that may need to be ironed out a little bit more before we can have a, um, a solid solution. But I have to say that I'm glad that now with COVID, some of the visits are risk adjusted, which it wasn't before. Right. Why was that? Why wasn't it risk adjusted? Do you, do you think like, is it, what's the issue there? I mean, I think the same way that telehealth wasn't a thing in healthcare before COVID. Uh-huh. Right. It's all the yeah. payments and send. Yeah. So. Right. Right. So, you know, with, with risk adjustment, it, it seems like, you know, especially for you, Gabby, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of work. Yes. You're not doing, you're not providing the care, but you're, you're, you have, you play a big, big role in, in how that, works for everybody would you would you agree with that like it, it seems like it's a lot to to take on it is i think it's a lot and it's way more than um organizations think when they first start working on this area on risk adjustment so it, 
I've seen it with uh, several of my clients that when they, when when we start working and I tell them all the things that we need to look at, it's kind of an awakening. They many didn't realize that all these pieces were connected. Right. And it, and I think it's extremely important to find ways to make this easy for providers so that they can do what they are good at, which is taking care of the patient. But if we do risk adjustment in a way that it's a burden to the providers where they have to document and, you know, really remember all the risk adjustment rules and remember codes and ICDs, we'll drive them crazy and then they don't have time to provide care for the patient and then they're going to feel, well, the fee-for-service world wasn't as bad either, you know? <laughs> right. right. Let's so we need to find... Yeah, exactly. I mean, they leave that world because they want to take care of the patient. But when they come to this world of value base, if we don't make it easy for them, they're going to revert. With the, a lot of the organizations that you provide your service to, what has been the biggest or the most common challenge that you've seen that um, they've had to adjust to? Um, I will say... There are many pieces, but I will say one of them is revenue cycle. It continues to be one that, oh, no, the revenue cycle department, it's somewhere else. No, no, I know they do their job or we don't really have a revenue cycle person like working full time. And that, and to me, that's like, it's, it's very key. It's like, because again, like I said before, if no matter how much you do in the front but if it doesn't go anywhere, it's like uh, like it doesn't go to your payer that information. Then you're in a way wasting your time. Well, you're not wasting your time because eventually you fix it. Right. And the other piece I will say it's there needs to be a lot of help, like having um, coders and what is called CDI clinical documentation improvement specialists helping providers with a documentation piece and the code to allow providers to do their job. Because I, I can see how this can kind of be frustrating for a provider where yeah. on one hand, you understand the, the, the value that it brings, but also not only do they have to provide, um, take care of this patient, but they also have to do all this extra work that totally. may seem tedious or sometimes is maybe it is necessary, but may feel unnecessary. And they're like, they're spending more time with paperwork than they are with the patient. And now they're trying to figure out how to make it all work. Well, trying to remember what is the right ICD here? Yeah. They're not coders. So that's a key part to take that away from them. Right. Right. But you know, the bright side of value-based care is, I mean, it is about the patient as well and, and providing care for that patient. And once we get all these things, you, do you feel like with, with your experience in risk adjustment and being in the value-based care industry or in working in these systems, are we, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Can we see it yet? Or is there, is there a lot more work that could be done to make it better? I think we are moving in the right direction. There is still a lot of work to be done. Uh, there are many organizations right now that are trying to facilitate this workflow. There are companies 
that help you with the chart reviews and they help you with what is called natural language processing. There are many things that are happening to facilitate workflows. The piece that is still needs to work out a lot, it's integration with the EHR. Because if the provider is working on their on an EHR, but then you ask them to log in in another system to do something else, to review the notes or X, whatever you're doing, then you lose the provider there. So everything that you do in this area to facilitate the provider work, uh, workflow, it has to be integrated with your EHR. And that is challenging. Right, right. So it sounds like a big challenge, <laughs> you know, but, you know, that de- definitely doable. You know, I, I kind of want to switch a little bit here from talking about not just um, the risk adjustment, but really um, I f- the population that I feel could kind of benefit from this the most. And, and those are people that are, um, you know, with, struggling with, you know, social determinants of health, health disparities, you know, people yeah. of color, um, uh, people of poverty in you know, certain area codes. How does um, how does this affect them? Like, I, I feel like it's a benefit, but from your experience, how does this affect those people that are um, at most risk? Well, I, because in theory, their care will be better managed by primary care providers. So it's going to be a more coordinated approach to treating those patients. And many of these patients that you're mentioning here have multiple conditions. Mm-hmm. And so ideally by having a provider that helps them coordinate their care better, it will be more beneficial rather than you know going to the ER one time and then to another doctor and then not going anywhere. So if you're able as a provider in these settings to manage their care better, uh, they will be better off. That, and I said in theory, because that's the theory behind this, the practice is a little bit harder, obviously. It's, it's a challenging population. But it's, it's really having that primary care provider who understands your health, your overall health, and can help you coordinate all those other, um, all your chronic conditions or other diseases you have. Right. But doesn't, doesn't it seem like you know, in with, with value-based care, I feel like there should be, we, we always talk about a team-based approach in, in value-based care. So it's just not the primary care provider that has yeah. to work with them. I feel like if a lot of organizations really take that on and I, I, I'm not everywhere. So maybe there is a, you know, people are really taking on this team-based approach. Uh, it just doesn't feel like it because a lot of, you know, you know, you hear about physician burnout and things like that. But yes. do you feel like a team-based approach um, can help with physician burnout? Will help with a lot of these, a lot of these um, documentation, the things that, that you are bringing up that maybe a lot of providers aren't even considering. Like, like oh yeah, I didn't realize, I didn't even think about all of the coding that I, I would have to do. Well, who's going to do, like, maybe, maybe they haven't really had this conversation. You know what I mean? Or yeah. thought about it. No, totally. So I, I have to bring a story when I was working at Iora Health. 
and where and they use the health coach approach, mm-hmm. which is the health coach works closely with the provider to get to know that patient, to provide support during the care. So it's that team-based approach. And there was this patient who was missing their dialysis sessions many times. Until one of the health coaches realized that if we provided them with, um, it wasn't, you know, those mini iPods that existed before. We don't see them that much anymore, but they're small iPods with a playlist that they like. Maybe that patient will go more to dialysis. And that worked. So is it something uh-huh. that you don't need a medical degree to figure out? But it was more about getting to know the patient, knowing what their the taste of the patient, what was going on, and a simple thing helped that patient continue his her care. Right. And it takes so much. That's a great story because it takes so much off of the provider. The provider didn't have to try to figure that out because yeah. they probably have 40 other patients. <laughs> You know, people that are maybe going through the same thing and having that health coach um, that can take the time to understand that is so valuable. Yes. And you don't need, again, to know about, you don't need to go to medical school to realize that you could help that way. So these health coaches are normally not um, training medical school. Right. They may go eventually, but not necessarily. Oh, right. Yes, I'm a health coach in a clinical setting. I this is this is what I oh great I love. I'm <laughs> there. You know what I mean? Like so, <laughs> everything you're saying, I love it because it, it is so true. You don't need to have a medical um, degree to degree. help a patient. Yeah. You know, exactly. you can help a patient in any any way. That is awesome, um, Gabby. So you know my. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast and really talking to us about something that I feel like is so important, but no one really, really understands it and is shining a light on that. If if anybody listening to this wanted to learn more about you and, and your consulting firm and get to know you, where can they find you? Well, right now I'm in LinkedIn, obviously, uh, and it's MAPA Healthcare Consulting and under my name, Gabby Alcala. And there is all my contact information is there and I, I will be more happy to help them. Awesome. That's awesome. Gabby, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. No, Corey, thanks to you. You're doing great work here. Thank you oh, so thank much. Thank you. I appreciate it. And everyone, thank you for listening to the podcast. I'll highlight you next time.